Thanks for downloading today's podcast of Clearly Seen, taught by Mike Kokoris. I think you're going to enjoy what Mike has for you today. And if you're ever in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles, we invite you to Lindley Church. Mike would love to meet you personally and answer any questions you have. Feel free to email your comments and questions to michael at kokoris.com. That's michael at C-O-C-O-R-I-S dot com. Now, let's hear from Mike. For some time now, we have been going through the book of Romans, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. We have come, at long last, to the last chapter in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16 is a long list of names. What could possibly be more boring than a long list of names? Of what value would there be in just recording one name right after the other? This, reading this is sort of like going to a commencement of a large class. They give you the agenda and it consists of several hundred names, and you're only there because of one name. But you've got to wade through all those names to come to that one name that you're interested in. Why is this here? Why do we have to wade through all of these names? In Washington, D.C., between the Lincoln Memorial and the Washington Monument, there is a wall, a wall that has 58,156 names on it. What could possibly be more uninteresting than a wall with 58,156 names on it? Of what possible value is that? Well, in that case, to someone who understands what's really going on, that wall is of great interest and great value. For chiseled in black granite are the names of men and a few women who gave their lives or who are missing as a result of the Vietnam War. Thousands of people stream past that wall I've stood and watched as hundreds flowed by. Periodically, one will pause and stare at one name and then begin to cry. I've watched it happen on more than one occasion. That wall, and better than 58,000 names, is deeply significant to someone who understands exactly what's going on. I would like to suggest to you that while at first brush, Romans 16 might seem to you to be one more long, boring list of names, if you get a glimpse of what's really being said here, you might discover a very valuable spiritual lesson. At the risk of perhaps being a bit tedious, and maybe even a bit boring, I'm going to suggest that we look 
one by one at a long list of names. I'm really not anticipating boring you. It's really not my plan to be tedious. What I'm really after is the significance of this list and perhaps the very reason why God put it here to begin with. May I invite your attention to Romans chapter 16. And I'm going to begin reading with verse 1. Romans chapter 16, verse 1. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church of Sincrea, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Epineatus, who is the firstfruits of Achaia to Christ. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andronicus and Juniga, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoner, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amphilius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. Greet Apellus, approved in Christ, Greet those who are of the household of Artopicus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Taphene and Taphosa, who have labored in the Lord. Greet Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and man. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philologus, and Julia, and Nerus, and our sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. As you can tell, this passage consists in the main of one exhortation after another for them to greet various individuals and in some cases groups within the church that is at Rome. There's only one or two other things going on in these 16 verses in Romans 16. He begins by giving them some special instructions for a gal named Phoebe and along the way he, toward the end of the passage, tells them that the churches of Christ greet them. But other than that, the whole long list consists of one exhortation right after another to greet some individual or some group of individuals. Now, what I would like to suggest we do is very hurriedly run through this list and note carefully what's being said. When I get to the end of doing that, I would then like to point out what I think is the great spiritual lesson 
of this whole passage. Let's begin with verse 1. He says, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church at Sincrea, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you, for indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. The point is rather simple. I am sending you a lady named Phoebe. I want you to receive her, and I want you to assist her in any way she needs assistance and in any way that you can. What he says about her is that she was a sister, meaning she was a member of the family of God. He says she is a servant of the church of Sincrea. Sincrea was the seaport of Corinth. As San Pedro is the seaport of Los Angeles, so Sincrea was the seaport near Corinth. She apparently lived there. Uh, he calls her a servant in that church. Now the word servant in verse 1 simply means a servant. However, this particular word is used elsewhere in the New Testament of deacon, and that has led some to conclude that Phoebe was a deaconess. So the question in this verse is, was Phoebe a deaconess or was she a servant without that official title? In my personal opinion, she was not an official deaconess. The simple reason we have no other mention of such an office anywhere else in the New Testament. Some try to say that there is uh, the list of qualifications for a deaconess in 1 Timothy Three, but in my opinion, what is mentioned there is really the qualifications for the wife of a deacon, and it does not call her a deaconess in that passage. It would be certainly strange for her to be an official deaconess if nowhere else in the New Testament is such an office mentioned, and nowhere else in the New Testament is a list of qualifications given for the office. So in my opinion, she was a servant, but that was the extent of it. She did not hold any kind of an official office of deaconess. It says that um, you are to receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her. And most conclude that that means at least that you put her up for the night, that you lodge her, that you extend to her some kind of hospitality. Notice that it says, in whatever business she has need of you, for indeed she has been a helper of many as well as to me also. The word translated helper is a Greek word which means benefactor. That word seems to imply that she was a woman of means, a woman of wealth. Some have suggested that living in Sincrea, she perhaps had the great opportunity and wealth of helping people who came through that seaport and that that was the occasion for helping the Apostle Paul. The other suggestion that is made, and it's a long tradition on this verse, we have no way of proving whether it's right or whether it's wrong, but it is certainly a widespread belief that the reason this is stated here, the very fact that he says receive her, implies that he is sending her to Rome. And the implication seems to be that she carried the book of Romans with her. If that is the case, and many believe that it is, then she was the postman 
who delivered the mail that Paul wrote to Rome. Someone has said, Never was there a greater burden carried by such tender hands. The theological history of the church through the centuries was in the manuscript which she brought with her. The Reformation was in that luggage. The blessing of multitudes in our day was carried in those parchments. At any rate, Paul says to the church at Rome, I want you to receive and assist a lady that's been a servant to many and to me. I want you to receive and assist Phoebe. After that begins the long list of one name right after another that Paul wants them to greet. At the top of the list in verse 3 are a married couple named Priscilla and Aquila. They are identified as my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risk their own necks for my life to whom I not only give thanks but also all the churches of the Gentiles. The New Testament has a great deal to say about Priscilla and Aquila, piecing together all that is said in various portions of the Scripture. We know that they apparently started out in Rome and were forced to leave because of a persecution by Claudius. They went from Rome to Corinth. It was at Corinth that they met the Apostle Paul. When Paul left Corinth and went to Ephesus, they accompanied him. Now, from this reference, it is apparent that they have left and gone back to Rome. So these old friends of Paul are back where they started. And in writing to the church, Paul puts them at the top of the list and says, Be sure and greet them for me. Notice he calls them my fellow workers. If you read Acts, you will discover that they were tent makers, and so was the Apostle Paul. He no doubt met them in business. They probably became partners together in a tent-making business. But that's not what he has in mind here. For he says, they were my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They not only worked with him in business, they worked with him in a spiritual endeavor as well. So he says, greet those folk that have become such co-workers with me in Christ. He then adds, they risked their own necks for my life. Now, we have no idea when they did that or the precise circumstances. The New Testament is silent about the incident itself. But apparently, it was fairly well known because he goes on to say that he not only gave thanks for that, but all the churches of the Gentiles thank God for Priscilla and Aquila who risk their life that Paul's life might be spared. The simple point is greet them. They're old friends. They're co-workers. They're, they almost gave their life once. They clearly risked their life for me. So be sure and greet them for me. He then says in verse 5, Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. <laughs> That's a striking reference. You look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, you will discover that they had a church in their house at Ephesus. And now they're back in Rome and they're once again have a church in their house. Now this doesn't mean that necessarily that all of the church in the city of Rome met in that one house. Now, there are suggestions later in the passage that there were several house churches. So one house church was in their home. Nevertheless, clearly, they had a house, church, and Paul says not only greet them, 
but greet all those in the church in their house. Then he says, Greet my beloved Epineatus, who is the firstfruits of Archaea to Christ. Now the extent of what we know about him is that he had a very common name, sort of like John in our day. We also know that he was the first to be led to Christ by Paul in the Roman province of Archaea. And we know that he was beloved. Beyond that, we know absolutely nothing. Verse 6, greet Mary, who labored much for us. What we know about Mary is that she worked real hard. She labored much. The Greek word translated labored is a word that means to labor to the point of being physically tired. The Greek word has the little nuance of being weary. So she not only helped out when it was convenient, she worked to the point that she was weary in body and bone. He says, greet her. That lady worked a lot and she worked hard. Greet her for me. Then he says, verse 7, greet Andonicus and Juna, my kinsman and fellow prisoner, who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Now, these two are considered to be husband and wife. They were clearly Jewish, which is what he means when he calls them my kinsmen. He doesn't mean they were relatives. He simply means that they were Jewish. He says they were fellow prisoners as well as fellow countrymen. The little phrase that says they were of note among the apostles could mean either that they were apostles and noted apostles or the Greek construction would allow the interpretation that they were well known among the apostles in that they are not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament as apostles I think the latter of those two interpretations is no doubt the correct one at any rate they were saved long before Paul and were no doubt long-standing friends of the apostle so he sends greetings to them verse 8 says Greet Amphilius, my beloved in the Lord. What we know about that name is that it again was a common slave name and that this individual was beloved in Christ among many, especially Paul. Verse 9 says, Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. Urbanus was a common slave name and Stachus was a rare Greek name. All three of these names in verses 8 and 9 have been found in inscriptions among slaves of the imperial household. So perhaps these three are the names that have been found and they were slaves. They were slaves in the imperial household, but they had also trusted Christ and are called Beloved. Verse 10 says, greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Apelles is a common name, like Jimmy in our day. But he was an uncommon man because he was approved in Christ, simply meaning that he had served the Lord and had become a proven servant so that people could look at him and say, now there is someone that is a true servant of Jesus Christ. We are then told to greet those who are of the household of Eratobulus. Now, it says greet those who are of the household. 
this man himself was probably not a Christian or he may have been dead. His name appears among those of the Herod family and some have gone so far as to suggest he was the grandson of Herod. Of course, whether that's true or not, we don't know. Verse 11 says, Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Herodian is another name that was common among Herod's family, lending support to that whole theory. But the one thing we know about him is that he was Jewish. He is called my kinsman. Verse 11 says, Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. And again, note, he doesn't say to greet Narcissus. He says to greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, perhaps indicating Narcissus was dead or he was uh, not a believer, but those in his household, like his wife and children, or perhaps his servants and slaves were. Verse 12 says that they are to greet Trifena and Tryphosa. Uh, those uh, two individuals were sisters, and the Greek words indicate that they were delicate and dainty if they were after their namesake. But notice what it says about them, that they have labored in the Lord. These feminine, delicate, dainty women worked hard for Jesus Christ. He says in verse 12, Greet beloved persist, who labored much in the Lord. This is another woman, and she not only labored, she labored much in the Lord. Then he says in verse 13, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and man. Rufus was a very common name, like John or Jimmy. Many feel, however, that this Rufus is the same one that is mentioned in Mark chapter 15, verse 21. What is said about him is that he was chosen in the Lord. Now, all believers are chosen in the Lord. So why say that about him? Perhaps it is because he was known for being chosen. He was an example of some type of person God would choose. And remember, God doesn't choose many noble. He chooses the despised of this world, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So perhaps because of his background, people looked at him and said he's a real trophy of God's grace. The other possible meaning is that um, the word chosen here means that he was outstanding in some way. At any rate, the one thing Paul says about him is that he was chosen in the Lord. And it says, greet his mother, his mother and mine. Now, that isn't necessarily to say that uh, Rufus and Paul had the same mother. They probably didn't. It's just that uh, perhaps Paul got to know Rufus's mother and she adopted the Apostle Paul. At least that's the suggestion of many. If that's the case, then he's saying, greet her because she gave me the care of a mother and I want to send her the affection of a son. Verse 15 contains five names. We're not told anything about them except to greet them. It is suggested by many that those five made up another house church. Whether that's true or not, we cannot prove for sure. What we do know is they formed some kind of a unit 
and they were to be greeted. And notice it says, and the brethren who are with them. The suggestion that they made up a house church is as good as any. Verse 15 contains four names. Philologus and Julia are generally considered to be husband and wife. And the next are considered to be their children. Again, we don't know for certain that that is the case, but it's a good suggestion. The fact that verse 15 says, and all the saints who are with them has led some to say that's still another house church. If verse 15 is a house church and verse 14 is a house church and earlier in the passage we were told to greet the church that is in their house, meaning Priscilla and Aquila, verse 5, then there are three house churches in Rome mentioned in this passage. He concludes this part of Romans 16 by saying, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now he's gone through this long list. He's named individuals and he's named groups. And now he says to everybody, I want you to all greet one another. Something like what a song leader does when in the middle of the service he says, now before you sit down, turn around and greet one another. We do that by shaking hands and saying hi. He says you are to do it with a holy kiss. There was a practice in the ancient world of men kissing men and women kissing women. They did it on the cheek, though in some eastern countries, many actually peck each other on the lips. Notice it is a holy kiss. It is not a romantic kiss. Yes, but Paul instructs them to greet one another and to do it with a kiss. And then he says, the churches of Christ greet you. He's interested that they know that all the churches outside of Rome know about them and want to send their greetings to them. Paul was in constant contact, no doubt, with churches from places like Galatia, Asia, Macedonia and Archaea, Roman provinces of the Roman Empire. And he says, they all send greetings to you. Notice this is a rare case in the New Testament where it says the churches of Christ greet you. Churches, plural. And he means, of course, churches from all of those various Roman provinces. Now, I promised you a long list of names. I promised you that we would run through them. But I also suggested what we really needed to do was find the spiritual lesson that is here. What would you say is the application of this? Why did God put that in his word? Well, as I looked at this passage, read what everybody else had to say about it, Seems to me that there are several ways you could apply this passage. Receive her, assist her, both applied to Phoebe. And the rest of the command is greet, 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 and receive the greeting from the other churches. Perhaps what I should do when I come to this passage is nothing more than tell us that we are to receive believers, we are to assist believers, and we are to greet believers. Those would obviously be valid applications of this passage. But I would like to go one step beyond that and make another suggestion. Do you find it interesting 
that this is the inspired, eternal Word of God, and that God saw fit to write a book, put people's names in it, people who are now dead, people about whom we know nothing, people about whom nothing else is said even in the book he wrote, and that in that same list are other people who are known because of other things he said in his book, and about whom things are said in this list, is it possible that this is an illustration? That God has written a book that is eternal, that will be in heaven, that has names in it. At least let me suggest that that's an application of this passage. And if that's the case, then let me draw several spiritual lessons from this list of names. In the first place, there are 26 names here. God has a book in heaven that has 26 names in it. I can't help but ask, is your name in it? There's a book in heaven, and my name's in it. It's written in the book of life. Is your name in God's book? In that book, that eternal book that's in heaven? That, I think, is at least part of the point of this long list of names in Romans chapter 16. Another commentator in another day, in another country, said this. Here, as nowhere else in the Apostles' letter, we are struck by the long list of names that are given. We know nothing at all about many of the people mentioned here, apart from their name. So it is quite reasonable to ask what purpose this list may serve. But in the Bible, no name is ever mentioned without good reason. The people who are presented by name here embody the fulfillment of Isaiah's words. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. This then is the first purpose of the list of names. The apostle singles out people who have been redeemed and saved. After a shipwreck, the captain of a ship calls the roll to see who has been saved. And similarly here, Paul is calling out the names of people who have been saved. The other day, when I was out for a walk with my family, I saw a coin lying in the dust of the road and told one of the children to pick it up. The child hesitated for a moment and wondered if it was worth the trouble of bending down. All these people were once lost like the coin in the dust. Eastern and Western names are mentioned, names that sound Jewish, Latin, or Greek. Christ found them in some remote country or town by the Jordan or the Nile or the Tiber. There they lay in the dust, and Christ came past and did not ask, Is it worth the trouble of bending down? On the contrary, he lifted them up, cleansed them, and said, You're mine. If you have trusted Jesus Christ, your name is in a book, an eternal book, the book of life. 
just like all the names listed in Romans chapter 16. But that's only the beginning. There are 26 names that we looked at in this passage. There are more than that in the rest of the passage. But in this first major portion of it, there are 26 and several groups. Of the 26, all that is known of the majority, 16, is that their name is in the book. They were to be greeted. And that's great. But that's all that's said about them. May I suggest that when all of us are in heaven and we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and God opens his book, that there will be people who have trusted Jesus Christ, whose names are in the book, who will go to heaven. But that's all that's going to be recorded about them. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, Our works are going to be tried by fire. And some people's works are going to be consumed. They themselves will be saved, but so as by fire. They'll make it, but without any works to their credit. On the other hand, if you go through this list, you will notice that there are people mentioned here who are not only mentioned, but it is specifically said about them that they labored in the Lord. Five of the 26 individuals are said to have labored in the Lord. Two are called workers. Others are said to have labored. Now the question, and I think it is a potent question, and one that needs to be asked of every individual who names the name of Christ, is your name in the book? And that's all. Or does beside your name it say, worker, labored for Christ? Look at the list again. As we went through it, you will discover that a, beside some names, it not only says they labored in the Lord, but it says they labored much in the Lord. And the two individuals of whom that is said in this passage are both women. Anybody that's been in the Lord's work for any period of time knows that if you took the women out of the work of the Lord, it would be better than cut in half. Why is it that it's the women who very often carry the load of the work of the Lord in the trenches of a church? That's the case. And apparently, that was the case in Romans chapter 16. So Paul says, let me tell you about those two. They not only are believers, they not only worked for the Lord, they labored much for the Lord. I'm reminded of the parable Jesus told that some will bear fruit 30-fold, some will bear fruit 60-fold, some will bear fruit 100-fold. Can't help but ask. You're looking at a long list of names. Is your name there? And what's beside it? Did you work? Did you work much? That might not seem important to you now. Might just be a meaningless list of names. You might be all consumed about other things in this life, like how much money you can make, how you can uh, 
get to the top in your profession. Certainly nothing wrong with any of that. But I submit to you that there will come a day when we will stand before the Lord. And what's going to really count is what we did for Jesus Christ. And it's at that point you're going to wish, hear me, you're going to wish, perhaps to the point of tears, you're going to wish you had labored much for the Lord. I submit to you that we're pouring our lives into things that will not last, that we labor much for things that will go up in smoke, and that those who sacrifice some of those things and labor hard and long for the cause of Christ will be duly rewarded when they stand before the Lord. A couple of other observations I'd make in this passage. It not only says that some of these people labored and labored much, it says about others that they were loved. There are four individuals that are called beloved. Are you beloved? Are you so beloved that God would write that down in His book? That person is really loved. I think there's some people who work and work hard, labor long, but they can be just a bit obnoxious. As a matter of fact, and I had a, a vivid illustration of this just recently, unfortunately, there are people in the work of the Lord who haven't grown in grace. Oh, they work hard, but they aren't very gracious people. And I hate to say this, but unfortunately it's true. There are people in the ministry who have big names that are real turkeys. But there are people of whom it is said they're beloved. I saw a sign the other day that said, some bring a blessing, some are a blessing, excuse me, when they come in, and others are a blessing when they go out. <laughs> now, are you a blessing when you come in so that you get in the presence of people and they spend a few minutes with you and say, wow, that was refreshing. I'd love to spend more time with that person. Or are there those rough edges on you? People say, <clears throat> I know they work hard, but... And which are you? And which are you? One other observation. In this long list of names, it is said of two people that they did the ultimate. Or at least were willing to do the ultimate. Of Priscilla and Aquila, a man and his wife, it is said, verse 4, they risked their own necks for my life. May I suggest that the ultimate manifestation of love is that you give your life for someone else. In 1 John 3.16 John says, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So in this long list of names, some are known by their labor, 
And some are known by their love. Didn't want to bore you with this long list of names. But I did want you to see that it's sort of like going to a commencement. And they read one name right after another. I went to one of those yesterday. My daughter graduated from college. And the ceremony was outside and lasted for three hours. And I was only interested in one name. But I had to sit through hundreds of names until they got to that one I was interested in. There's coming a day, my friend, when we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I do not know what that's going to be like. The more I find out about it, the more it makes me nervous. Can't find much written on it. Tried to study it for years. There are hardly no books on the subject at all. I don't know what it'll be like. But is it possible that there's going to be this long list of names? I'm only going to be interested in one then. Mine. And when mine is called, what will be said about me? If God is keeping a diary, if God is writing a book, if my name is in that book, and it is, what's beside it? Does it say I labored for the Lord? I hope so. I think so. Does it say he was filled with love as well as labor? Oh, I hope so. Oh, I hope so. Your name in the book? And if so, what's beside it? I've taught the passage. I'm just now ready to begin. What church doesn't need workers and lovers? What I need at this point is to say to you, what church doesn't need people to work in the Sunday school, people to work in the parking lot, people to greet one another? I got a letter recently from a lady who said came to your church and I had a crying baby somebody jumped all over me but nobody greeted me nobody even told me where the nursery was oh where are the workers and the lovers and give us people that are both years ago Donald Gray Barnhouse, speaking on this passage, said this. Now, if there's anything that's boring, it's a long list of names. And in a sermon, it's to read a long article. Well, I've bored you with the list of names. I might as well conclude by reading a long article. In the words of Donald Gray Barnhouse, Finally, let us look through this chapter to see the designations of these shadowy figures who walk against the gray stones of ancient Rome. Phoebe is called the servant of the church, a helper of many. What an epithet. How much can be said in a single sentence? I began to think 
of single sentences that described complete, a complete life of a person. For many weeks, I glanced at the obituary column of the New York Times and the Times of London. It was not long before I had quite a list. Quote, a writer on food and wines, end of quote, is the sentence left behind by one man. Developer of trotting races sums up the life of another. Still another introduced modern conditions for bottling beer. Then it mentions a name and says when he met death on the curve in a road outside Paris, the Times listed his wife and mistresses, the variety of wild animals he had shot. But when it described the car that came around the bend on the wrong side of the road, the final sentence of the obituary was, he was killed almost instantly by a broken neck. Betrana and the chauffeur were unhurt. He died, as, would as he had probably have wanted to, at the wheel of a low-slung car with a beautiful woman beside him. In contrast to that, glance through the closing chapter of Romans and read these lines of description. Servant, verse 1. Helper, verse 2. Fellow worker, verses 3 and 9. Four people are called beloved, verses 5, 8, and 9, and 12. Two called hard workers, fellow prisoner, men of note among the apostles, approved in Christ, workers in the Lord, eminent, a mother of me, saints. What epithets are these? How much greater than the piles of stones that emperors heap together to preserve their memory. The Colosseum and the Parthenon are great buildings built by two of the emperors, but who knows their names? And if I tell you that one of them was built by Hadrian and the other by Vespasian, who but a few history teachers knows which made which? But when all those stones have turned to sand, and when the elements melt in fervent heat, and Rome, supposedly eternal, is seen to be the quintessence of what is temporal, these humble people, beloved, hard workers and saints, will burst forth in the brilliance of a truly eternal city, which foundation and whose builder and maker is God. End of quote. Selah and amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us an eternal perspective on what to expect. Thank you for telling us that there is a book and we can have our names written in it. Thank you for telling us there is a judgment to come. and We can prepare for it. Father, may we not hear this and turn it aside and give our lives to that which will go up in smoke, but motivate us to labor hard and long and yet be loving for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.